Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. In a moment we're going to be reading from 1 John chapter 5. We're going to read from verses 6 down to verse 13. Looking at the topic of confident in God's witness. Confident in God's witness. This text very much speaks about confidence in what God says and what he witnesses to his people. But before we read God's holy word, I wonder if I could speak to the boys and girls here a moment. Boys and girls, I wonder, have you ever been lost? Has there ever been a moment you turn around and you're going, Where's my mommy? Where's my daddy? And you get a moment of panic. And you might even, you might even start crying. I remember, that, I think that even happened to me when I was young. It's hard to remember all that way back. But I've seen children lost in supermarkets. And they're crying. And they're looking for their mommy and their daddy. Now, whose voice do you think that they want to hear? Do they want to hear the voice of a stranger? Or do they want to hear the voice of one of their parents. They want to hear the voice, don't they? Of their father or their mother. Or maybe their grandfather or their grandmother. Or someone they trust. Someone they love. And what do they do? Don't you run towards them when you find them? You don't want to hear the voice of a stranger. You want to hear the voice of someone you trust. And someone you love. The Christian is a lot like that. The Christian wants to hear the voice of the Father, of his heavenly Father. The Christian loves the sound of his Father's voice and runs towards it. And when you're lost, panicked, where, where's my mother? Where's my father? Where have they gone? You find comfort, don't you, boys and girls? You find comfort when you find your mommy or your daddy. You find comfort when you find them. The Christian finds comfort when he runs to God. How can you run to God? In prayer. You can read his word. I'm sure you have Bibles in your homes. You can read his word and hear the voice of your Father in heaven. Because his ways are to be trusted. Not the ways of those people who will tell you, go this way. No, no. Your heavenly Father says go another way. And his ways are better, more wonderful, more comforting. So this morning, as we listen to God's holy word, and we'll say this to all here, boys and girls and everyone here, There will be voices in this world who will ask you to go another way. There will be voices in this world who will tell you to go away from what the Father is telling you. The Father is telling you to go one way and the world, the flesh and the devil is telling you to go another way. Which voice should we listen to this morning? The voice of God. So come to the Father through Jesus his Son this morning. 
For he is speaking to you here this morning, every single one of us, as the word is read. God is speaking. God is calling to us to listen to him and to follow him. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 down to 13, let us hear God's holy and his infallible word. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and his infallible word. In times of difficulty and trouble, who do you go to? Who do you run to in times of of difficulty? Do you go to people you trust? Or do you go to people you don't trust? Well, you go to people you trust, don't you? You go to those people, you know you've got a difficult situation, and you want that thing not to be repeated to other people. You want that thing not to be shared around the town. You go to those people, don't you, in times of difficulty, because you have built up a trusting relationship with that good friend, and that good friend is to be treasured. If we are wise, we will go to that person. People who tell us the truth. Do you ever have that good friend? And you know over many years, they don't tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you need to hear. Or at least what they think. And those are good friends. Those are good friends to have around you. The world does not want us to go to our closest and our friend who is worthy of our greatest trust. The world doesn't want us to go to the Bible. It doesn't. The word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is worthy of our greatest trust, our greatest confidence. And dear friends, may we grow in our confidence in God's witness. Because, friends, when... The church is confident. 
assured that she surely belongs to Christ, that her life is not her own, she belongs to her husband, she lives differently, knowing that they know him who is Christ Jesus. And that is a church that turns the world upside down. That is the church that was seen in the book of Acts after Pentecost. That is the church that we read about in church history. That we marvel. How could they do such things? Ultimately, it wasn't because of them. It was the Spirit of God. But they were assured. They were confident in God's witness. They were confident in the gospel message to save sinners. It is a church that rejects the voice of those who will drag you away from God. The world doesn't want us to have confidence in the word of God. Where is your confidence here this morning? Is it in the witness of the world, the flesh, and the devil? Or is your confidence in God? The world's witness. The world wants to tell you many things. Oh, you can't believe that in the scriptures. Oh, that's not possible. But will we have confidence in God's witness? Here this morning. Because God's witness not only brings blessings in the world to come. And it does. It brings blessings here and now. It does. It brings boldness. It brings a confidence in the word of God. And it brings a confidence that you, dear friend, a believer in Jesus Christ, are truly a child of God. We're going to look at this text here from verses 6 down to verse 13. We're going to look at it under four headings. And the first heading is this. We're going to be looking at the types of witness that God gives us. The first one is a suffering witness. A suffering witness. Witness. And when we say the word witness, when we go to court, the, the witnesses are very important, aren't they? If there's ever a court case, you're going to, a witness or witnesses are going to make the difference between how the court case goes and whether that witness is trustworthy or not is very, very important. You need someone who's believable. If you have someone who is a very godly person, a very trustworthy person, but if, if somebody else is a witness and maybe they're a criminal, maybe they're somebody who steals, well, their testimony is not worth as much. The testimony here spoken about in our text is one of truth. It is one of truth. And why we should believe Jesus Christ, why we should believe the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says this, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. And ultimately, we are to believe this because it is the Spirit of truth. Now, this is actually a pretty challenging verse, and you might be kind of scratching your heads and going, well, what does he mean by, this is he, okay, we're speaking of Jesus Christ, who came by water and blood. What does he mean by water? What does that 
mean? It's, it's challenging, but it's really speaking about how Jesus Christ came. He came once. He's going to come again. But how did he come the first time? He came, it says here, not just by water, but water and blood. It wasn't his entrance, if we remember, at his baptism. His public ministry by water. Now, water can mean things of purity and cleansing. Water means, it points towards washing away. But at Christ's baptism, we see something special. Now, Jesus was no sinner. But he was to keep the law of God for his people, for us. What does it say? What does, what does God the Father say at Jesus' baptism? That's in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning. Upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Do you see that? There's a testimony from heaven, there's a testimony by water, you could say, that this here is my beloved Son, the Father says, in whom I am well pleased. This is the Son of God. In verse 5 of 1 John chapter 5. It says this, who is he that overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So we have a witness. We have a witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Son in which the Father is well pleased. But our verse is not just about water. It says, not only by water, but by water and blood. Now that's a powerful testimony. That that was given at Jesus' baptism. But it's not only by water. The emphasis really here is on blood. Something more. What witness do we think of when we think of blood? Well, we think of suffering, don't we? He shed his blood. He gave his life. And that's his witness. That his witness is truth. And he said this throughout his life. And you'll see many examples of it. And the disciples struggled with this. That he came to die. That was his mission. He came to live. And he came to die according to the scriptures. And to be ro- rise again from the dead. But he is that suffering servant. Spoken about in the Old Testament. He promised to give his life for the sins of the people. And look what it says here in the second half of verse 6. And it is the spirit who bears witness. Because the spirit... Is truth. The spirit is truth. The spirit of truth descended upon Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry. Testifying that this is the son of God. This is the suffering servant. This is the suffering witness for the truth. It says in Mark 10.45. For even the son of man did not come to be served. But to serve and to give his life. A ransom for many. But look at the power of his testimony. Look at the power of his witness. Actually the word in in the original language. We get the word martyr. In English. And we know of martyrs. Martyrs we think of people who died for the Christian faith. 
But a martyr is really at its core a witness for the truth. A witness. He was a suffering martyr. Not by water only, but by blood. He died, he came to die on the cross to suffer agony for you and for me. For sinners like us. So that we would not have to suffer the pains of hell. His suffering showed us that we ought to have confidence in what he says. He didn't just come by water, although that was powerful in that testimony. He came also by blood. Everything he said about his life came to pass. If anything didn't come to pass, it would be very easy to show it and to prove it. His witness was one of suffering. And so often for the Christian, it will also be our witness. If you look throughout church history, often the ones who suffered the most for Jesus Christ were the greatest witnesses, weren't they? None of us want to suffer, do we? Even Jesus cried out when he prayed, Let this cup pass from me. But he was willing. Jesus, you see the difference? Not that he wanted to suffer, but he was willing to suffer for the will of God. And the more we're like Christ, the more our witness to the world will often be one of we are willing. If the Lord wants us at that time, in that way, that we are willing to suffer for him. So we looked at a suffering witness. Number two now, we're going to look at a single witness A single witness. So we're looking at more reasons to believe this witness from God. To have confidence in this. So that we can leave here this evening or this morning. And leave here with a greater confidence in God's witness. And another reason for our confidence is this. It's a single witness. It's not one voice saying one thing and another voice saying another thing. It speaks with one voice. And it talks about here in verses 7 and 8. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Perfect unity of witness. This is the point that John is trying to get across to these Christians reading this, and it includes us as well here today. The witnesses are all in agreement, perfect unity. They speak with one voice. There is the witness of the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are one. It says, verse 7 again, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. The word is another name for the Son of God. And these three are one. And we must remember with there is one true and living God. It is not that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit together make up God. God is not made up of three parts put together like a jigsaw. That is not God. God is one. I know we will struggle with this, but we must accept it by faith. One will, one mind, 
one movement of God, pure, without change, pure in every way. In holiness, in action, the blessed triune God is one. There is no sense in which the Father and the Son work apart from each other. They work as one. They are one God. The truth speaks with one voice. It witnesses with one voice. And, and in the world, we'll often see this, won't we? Lies speak with many voices. If you ever went to court and there were several witnesses and they're all saying different things. And this is what happened when Jesus was being crucified. They couldn't agree on their accusations. So if they're all saying different things, it weakens the witness, doesn't it? Everyone has a different story. The, the stories are not in agreement with each other. So then they're less believable. Most likely, maybe they're lies, maybe they're gossip. But if they have agreement, if they all speak as one voice, well then, it's far more believable if they're saying the same. It's from a pure stream of truth worth listening to. This witness is from one single, pure, holy testimony. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have one will. They speak with one voice. They are one. And it's the same God that was spoken about in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is three? No, one. One. Because God is one. He does not depend on anything outside of himself. It's very important. If, if you're driving along in your car and you're driving home and something, a very small piece maybe falls out of your car, you just hear a clank of metal on the floor. You go, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Your car doesn't work very well after that. Our cars are made up of many different parts. And we hope that every single part works. You depend on your tires. You depend on your steering wheel. You depend on all these things. Your car is made up of many parts. But it's not so with God. God is not made up of many parts put together. Our confession of faith says he is without body, parts, or passions. He is all that he is. And, and it's important to say this, that he does not depend on anything that is not God to be God. Why is that important? It's important because because his truth doesn't depend on anything else. And his testimony is to be believed without question because of who he is. Without him, nothing exists. Without him, nothing makes sense. The singleness of witness is seen again in verse 8. And there are three that bear witness on earth. The Spirit. That's the Spirit of Almighty God. That's the Holy Spirit. The water. That's the, the testimony that was given at Jesus' baptism. And the blood. That's his suffering. And these three agree as one. So in heaven and on earth, they speak with one glorious voice. Why would we not believe this, dear friends? Why would we ever reject this? If you reject the testimony of God, it's not because you lack evidence. The, the world surrounds us with evidence. 
We see the heavens and they declare the glory of God. The problem for the unbeliever is not the lack of evidence. The problem for the unbeliever is a lack of love for God. You have many reasons to have confidence. If you're a believer here this morning, you have many, many, many reasons to have confidence in God's witness. And the more confidence you have in God's witness, the more you will reject the lies of the enemy, the devil, as our God is one, speaking with one voice. So a suffering witness, a single witness, a superior witness, it's a better witness, a superior witness. It says in verse 9, verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is what? Greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. We've got to remember this. God will never lie to you. He is truth. He can never deny himself. But do people lie? Yes. People will and do lie. But God will never People will get things wrong in an honest and sincere way as well. But God will never, ever get things wrong. Men will reject Christ. Why? Because they're fallen and do not love the truth. The truth, it's inconvenient to fallen man. And I keep saying this, but it's not a lack of evidence for the Bible. Unbelief is really a hatred and a rejection of Almighty God. It says in John chapter 3, verses 17 to 21. John chapter 3, verses 17 to 21. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone everyone practicing evil hates the light. Verse 20 of John chapter 3. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light. And that his deeds may be clearly seen. That they have been done in God. That's the problem. And we pray for people. That they will come to see. Not that the witness of men is to be trusted. But that the witness of God is better. This is often what happens to people when they become Christians. They will trust God's testimony, his witness, above all else. Fallen men have a bias against the truth. Lost men do not want the light. I remember I, I recently had finished my college course. I have a science background. And without question, I held to the theory of evolution. I said, well, why wouldn't you hold to that? I got saved the next year. And I remember looking at Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And I said, you know what? I've been wrong on a lot of other things. 
believe God first. Of course, I looked into the, the science and the other things later on. But it's not about being stacked up with evidence. It's not that we don't look into that kind of thing. But that we trust God first. And not embrace the inferior or worse testimony of men. We all believe somebody, don't we? We all have people who are, you might call mentors. People who have been very important to us. Good friends who have shaped us. And that's, that's, that's a good thing, by the way. Good friends are a good thing. If, you, if you're sick, you trust the doctor to tell you what's wrong. You're trusting that person. If you're trusting the nurses when you go into hospital. When your teeth are bad, you trust the dentist. You're not telling the dentist, no, you're wrong there. Usually, anyway. In our life, we have to trust people. For various different things. Just to navigate throughout life because life is difficult. But we won't understand everything, will we? We don't. And there are older or wiser people. And boys and girls who are here this morning. I hope you try to learn from people older and wiser than you. Your mommy and your daddy will know more about the world. They'll know more about the dangers of the world. Listen to them. Listen to how they point towards God's word. So we need to learn. We need to trust other people. But if it's man's witness versus God's witness, trust God. Always trust God. God, even if you are in the minority and you're the only person, trust God. Because, friends, God never gets anything wrong. It says in Jeremiah 17, verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Well, we, we, we do learn from men, but we don't make men our confidence. At any stage, the Lord needs to be our confidence. In verse 10 of 1 John 5, he who believes in the Son of God has witness in himself. He who believes, he who does not believe God has made him a liar. A liar. That's a serious thing, isn't it? And we may think, well, that's not very loving to say, is it? But dear friends, this is the word of the living God. Who wrote this? The spirit of love himself wrote it. John is writing this lovingly. He wants people who are believers to have greater confidence. To not die in torment. That they know that they know God. But he's warning the unbeliever. Oh, don't accuse God of lying. It's a serious Serious thing. To continue wandering aimlessly in your Christian walk is not wise. We may struggle with assurance. We all do from time to time. But it is something to seek for and to strive for. So a superior witness. That is God's witness above, above men's. But our final point is a strengthening witness. A strengthening witness. Verses 10 and 11. He who believes in the Son of God has witnessed in himself. 
He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Do you believe here this morning? Do you believe? Have you forsaken your sins? Have you embraced Christ? Is he the one you love? And if that is true, then you have life. It's not maybe. It's you have life. If you have trusted in him, you look to him and him alone. You, you look in yourself and you see nothing but sin and what would condemn you. That's a good sign. But you've looked to Jesus in whom is everything we need for salvation. And if you have, you're saved. If you have, you have a home in heaven. If you have, the Lord will not leave you nor forsake you. This is a strengthening witness to believe his testimony. John doesn't want to leave the believer in doubts. He wants to bring the believer to greater confidence, to greater assurance in what God is saying. And this is the testimony, verse 11. That God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. You may not understand very much, but are you looking with the eye of faith to Jesus the Christ? Then you have life. If you have looked, you have life. You are alive. How do you know if somebody's alive? You have to guess if somebody's alive. You know, you see... Are we kind of like, well, I think he's alive and he's walking around. You don't have to guess. You know if you're alive. You walk around, you move. Um, you're warm in your heart towards things. You have feelings. You have life. But think about spiritual life. It will affect you in your spiritual walk. The things that you hunger for will change. The things that you have an appetite for will change. And the more you have confidence in this, the testimony of God, the more you will want to obey him. The more you will want to obey him. Now, God does not give you the strength to live for yourself. It's a strengthening witness. But this witness is not so you can go off and feel confident and live for yourself and do whatever you like. This confidence and strengthening witness is so that you stop living for yourself and live for him. And follow the example of Christ, which is he did not come to be served, but to serve others. Didn't Jesus come to serve others? He washed the disciples' feet. Now go and do likewise. Now he doesn't mean you take off everybody's socks and you... No, do the most menial, lowest tasks in service of others around you. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. That is life. Do you have an appetite for God? Because friends, if you don't have an appetite for God, you don't have an appetite for heaven. The more you have an appetite for God, the more you have an appetite for heaven. The more you wish to know about God, the more you wish to know about heaven. 
Heaven is not just a place. Heaven is a place where we experience the blessed presence of God more perfectly than anywhere else. The devil, if you're a true believer here this morning, the devil wants you to go away here doubting everything. He does. He loves it when the true believer is doubting everything. But he also wants the false convert to never examine his faith. The devil doesn't want you to live for Christ. He wants the false convert and the self-deceived religious person to go to hell. That's the world. That's the challenge we face. And it's a difficult world. It is. But the more we have confidence in the witness of God, the more we wish to live for him. It says in verse 13, John writes, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's speaking to a very specific group of people. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. He wants you to know. The Spirit of God wants you to know. And I know it's an uncomfortable subject for many. And I know there are certain teachings that exist within the church that really haven't helped with assurance of faith. One such teaching is, well, were you sincere when you made that decision 20 years ago? How can you remember such things? That is not biblical. What's biblical is, are you believing today? You may not even remember when you first started to believe. You may have been in your mother's womb when God regenerated you. The question is not, when did you become a Christian for the first time? The question is, are you believing today? The question is, are you growing in that faith? And if you're growing in that faith and there's signs of life, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you are on your way to heaven because of Christ. There's signs of life, there's signs of joy. And John, when he writes this letter, he wants you to have joy. In, in John, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Because if you, if you run away from this, you're robbing yourself of joy. In John chapter 2, verses 1. Verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now he's writing these things, that you do not sin, because sin would rob you of that joy. And then in verse 16 of chapter 2, it says this. Verse 16. Sorry, verse 26. These things I write to you, Concerning those who try to deceive you. Now, he's writing these things to keep you away from those things, if you're a true believer, that would make you doubt. Sin. Wandering from God. Listening to those who would deceive you. To bring you to what? Confidence in the witness of God. The strengthening witness of God. Because if you stay close to him, he will strengthen you. And I, I don't say that your life will be easy. Actually, your life in many ways will get harder. The closer you stick to the Lord, the more the world, the flesh, and the devil will often attack you. It's not an easy life. Being a Christian is not an easy life. But it's also a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
If God be for us, what can the enemies, be it the world, the flesh, and the devil, do against us? They can do nothing. They can do nothing. Let me just leave you with this last point. Eternity is a long time to be wrong. The things that John is writing about here are some of the most fundamental, some of the most important things you're ever going to think about. They're not things where, you know, Christians disagree on different things and it doesn't matter so much. But this, you can never say this about this. Eternity is a long time to be wrong. Friends, I wish for every single one of you to experience the joy of assurance of salvation. That you know that you belong to him. I pray that everyone here would experience the full joys of heaven. But even before those full joys of heaven are experienced, that you would experience greater joys here in this world. May the devil not rob you of that joy. May your flesh not rob you of that joy. We will all stand before God. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we can go confidently. Oh, death, where is your sting? Because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We can look forward to that day. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen.